This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 30th of April 2023, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is What does Ofsted stand for? Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 35th radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I'm Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I've been living in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach both languages as well as humanities. I teach French, Spanish, geography, and history. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. So today I wanted to focus on one topic that is extremely relevant at the moment. It's on social media, it's in the news, and it's really important to any person who has um, worked in a school, who works in a school, or who is a parent or a student. The podcast will be on what does Ofsted stand for? So this is mostly relevant to parents students, people who work in in the education sector, and anyone who is curious and savvy and wants to know more about schools as an institution in the UK. So, as usual, you know me by now, I am a linguist and I love words, and I like to know which words I'm using, and where they come from, and who invented them. So, Ofsted has become almost a word, and it's synonymous with inspection of schools in the United Kingdom. But it's an acronym, so its letters correspond to the Office for Standards in Education, Children's Services and Skill. So, Ofsted. Now, who created Ofsted is another important question we need to explain today. And it's simple. Ofsted was created by a government, a Tory government, and its head was John Major at the time. He was uh, Prime Minister in the the United Kingdom in the 90s. And he wanted to create an inspection regime so that he could introduce a national scheme of inspections 
with professional people who would check that schools are running efficiently. To do so, there was a law passed entitled the Education Schools Act in 1992. And um, the purpose was to organize a group of professionals who would supervise the inspection of state-funded schools in the country. And as well as supervise and inspect, they would publish a report that would be available to all and that would benefit that would be for the benefit of schools, parents, and government. So that was the decision made by John Major in 1992. Now, for those who are lucky to be younger than me, who is John Major? Well, John Major is a British politician. He served as a Prime Minister in the United Kingdom from November 1990 to May 1997. He was the leader of the Conservative Party from November 1990 until June 1997. He is in his 80s now, so he's no longer a politician. He's a former politician. He has retired. He can still be interviewed by journalists and he's happy to give his opinion on political matters, but he's not active anymore. He was born in 1943, so he's definitely a baby boomer, although, I mean, he's a war, World War II generation, a baby. So uh, definitely someone from the previous century in his experience, education, and in his views, you could argue. So uh, John Major was married to Norman Major, and uh, he was Shadow Secretary of State for Foreign, Commonwealth, and Development Affairs um, under um, Margaret Thatcher. He's got two children, and he was educated at the Rutledge School from 1954 to 1959. So this is who John Major is. Now, Abroad, he was famous for being obviously a Tory um, prime minister and having a, a mop of very white hair and a moustache at one point. Um, now, he created Ofsted. Ofsted is, since 1992, a non-ministerial department of His Majesty's government and Ofsted reports to Parliament. It is only responsible for inspecting schools, but it also does inspect different institutions such as nurseries, primary schools, secondary schools, and also state schools, as well as independent schools. So if you work in a private school, you can be inspected by Ofsted. If you are also a childminder registered to the local authority, you might be inspected by Ofsted in your own home. So Ofsted is involved in any institution that deals with children. As I said, it was created in 1992, which is quite a long time ago. And um, at, the, at the moment, so in 2023, the chair is Christine Ryan, and His Majesty's Chief Inspector, so at the head of Ofsted, we have a woman called Amanda Spielman. Now, because it is a um, non-ministerial department of 
the government. It has an annual budget, which is open to the public. You can find the, the information. It's available online. Now, I can tell you what's the annual budget. Um, it was £168 million a year from 2013 to 2014. And the latest figure I could find was £130 million from 2018-2019. I haven't got figures for more recent years. So it's quite a substantial amount of money. And it is spending its money on other things, employing 1,275 members of staff. And it is working in close link to the Department for Education. So this is what Ofsted is, created by a Tory Prime Minister, John Major, from the 90s, non-ministerial department, and it has a motto, raising standards and improving lives. That's the motto. So let's see, because it's been going on for almost 30 years. Is it following its own motto? Is it raising standards? And is it improving lives? As it's a government institution, Ofsted is to be considered as a tool. It's a tool in the hands of our government, and its purpose is to regulate education and schools. As such, it is also in the service of the public, and it's in the public interest to know if this tool is used properly and if it is efficient. The main task of Ofsted is to inspect a range of educational institutions, as I said, from childminders to nurseries to state schools to independence, to some independent schools, not all of them, but most. And it also, as I said, inspects childcare, but not only childcare, but also adoption and fostering agencies and initial teacher training. So it's basically involved for children from the age of, I would say, four months when the first children are with a childminder, all the way to when they are post up to 18 years old, I would say. So it's here to regulate a range of early years and children's social care services, as well as, as, well as educational institutions, all the way to the time when your child reaches his or her 18th birthday. Now, Let's not kid ourselves, there are inspections, services or institutions in most countries in the world. All countries need to know if the quality and, educa uh, the quality and delivery of their education, particularly state-funded education, is good. In France, it is called the Inspection Académique. And in the UK, it started way earlier than 1992. Historically, there was an Act of Parliament in 1833 with an annual grant that was dedicated to the National Society for Promoting Religious Education and the British and Foreign School Society. They were both under the control of the Church of England and they were to try and check what sort of education was delivered to elementary schools for poor children. And in 1837, Two inspectors of schools were nominated, Seymour Tremenheer and the Reverend John Allen. And they were the first inspectors of school appointed 
in the UK. So it's a Victorian invention and um, they're not called inspectors of schools anymore in the UK because Ofsted replaced the, the term, but they were called like that for quite a few decades and they're still called inspecteur in France, for instance. So Her Majesty's in Inspectorate, HMI as an acronym, was the person who would check schools before Ofsted was created. So as, as a reputation, Her Majesty's Inspectorate were people who were not often seen. Most schools would never see Her, Majesty, Her Majesty's Inspectorate and uh, they were usually considered as quite benign and sometimes ineffectual. Inspections of schools were carried out under the management of the local authorities as well. So John Major tried to change this situation, make inspection of schools a regular occurrence, a standardized occurrence, and something that was nationally similar, whether you are in uh, Wales or Scotland or Northern Ireland or England, you would be observed and inspected in similar ways. So he tried to nationalize the process. Ofsted's job is and was intended to be to report on the quality of the education provided by a school. If that school was following the educational standards, whether the money, the financial resources that the school had was effectively managed, and finally, if the spiritual, moral, social, and cultural devel development of pupils was effective. So it's an effort to make sure everything is done and that it's rationally done, effectively done, and that it is normative, which means that whether you are in a private school inspected by Ofsted or a state school, you would be judged using the same standards. Of course, as it's an institution, it started with a lot of paperwork and a lot of admin pressure, which is understandable. But then the criticism started coming in. And there was the issue of cost. As I said, it counts in the hundred million pounds per year, the budget for Ofsted. There was detractors as soon as Ofsted was created in 1992. Some people, and I quote a researcher, a researcher Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N, published in 2005, page 110, that, I quote, the style of inspection became more like an inquisition, so much so that teachers began to dread Ofsted visits, not necessarily because they were unsure about their own competence, but because masses of paperwork were required before, during, and after an inspection. So this was Lawton's view all the way back in 2005. Now, according to a memorandum submitted by Bob Prince, MA, you can access the whole interview, I mean, the whole report on uh, publications.parliament.uk. There was, uh, it was published in September 2010. So again, this is criticism that is uh, historical already. I quote Bob Prince M.A. The primary purpose of Ofsted 
has been to impose a politically based ideology on the education system within the UK. The overarching political ideology operated by this and the previous Conservative administration at this time was broadly to find ways of enabling markets rather than the state to provide economic solutions to problems of government. Using market economics as a guiding principle of government, the problem arose as to how the principles of the market could be applied to social functions such as education run by a government. So in this memorandum read at Parliament, Bob Prince M.A. says, Ofsted is a tool for imposing a political ideology on the field of education. So you can see that there was criticism from a very early stage. In 2005 and 2010, it was already mentioned that teachers were dreading an inspection and the question of the political ideology behind this creation of Ofsted was already raised in Parliament in 2010. Now, if you work in a school and um, you listen to the vocabulary that is used, you will notice very quickly that not unlike what goes on in the United States, in the United Kingdom, we use a terminology that is straight inspired from the corporate world and sometimes the banking world. The market's ideology in education appears reflected in its lingua. You have terms such as targets, which derive from um, corporate practices. You have measured outcomes, which can also relate to the idea of profit. We have um, an exam result focus that is seen as the best measurement for the quality of education. You have league tables, which are by definition school ratings. So it's a way of comparing the way you would compare uh, big companies or multinationals. There is this idea that parents have the choice and they can choose the right school for their child. It's coming from a perspective of the consumer society where the parent and the child are customers and they choose where they bring their business. Um, there is the idea of consumer agency because you can choose the school you want to go to. In practice, you can't really, but in theory, you can. And there's the idea that Ofsted, the Ofsted inspection is comparatively a little bit like a school audit. So the same way you would hire a consultant to come and visit your company to see if all your departments are running smoothly and how to improve it, you could see Ofsted as an audit. Now, this market's ideology comes from the predominance of neoliberalism since the 1980s. What effect it has on education? Well, we can argue that at another stage. Today's podcast is just about who created Ofsted, why was it created, and how does it serve people, and does it serve people? So I, um, I'm really interested in comparing what goes on in other countries as well, because I am obviously uh, not a UK citizen. What I notice is that 
inspections in France, inspection académique, um, are still seen the same way as Ofsted in, in visits are. It is a time where teachers are on edge, they want to perform, they want to prove that they're doing a good job, and this is definitely a stressful event for any schools. Now, um, how does Ofsted operate? So, it starts by phone call. The norm is that a school will receive a phone call from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., warning them that there will be an offset visit. After that, the school starts an offset protocol, and it is very, very common that all the teachers are asked to stay at school even though they have family duties or children to pick up. They have to stay at school, pizza boxes will be ordered in the staff room and they will have to have an urgent emergency meeting. All the teachers will be reminded what they're supposed to do the day following because it's an Ofsted visit. And there will be some departments that will have to endure a deep dive, which means just a very intense inspection. On the day of the visit, the Ofsted inspectors come in the morning. They're usually two or three if it's a big school. If it's just a nursery, there's just one um, inspector. And I assume if you are a childcare provider in your own home, it would be just one, mem one member of Ofsted visiting your house. During their visit, the um, members of SLT, so very often the head teacher or the vice principal, will walk the inspectors all over the school to, to show them the, the buildings. The inspectors will have requested to see some lessons, so they will observe lessons for no longer than, than 10 or 20 minutes at a time. And at times they will ask to speak to children on their own. So the inspector will be given a classroom where they can interview the children. Then they will have successive meetings with the head of some departments that they want to talk to. And they will also have meetings with the vice principal and the head teachers. They will talk to the pastoral team and check if all the safeguarding is done properly. This inspection should last two days in big schools and only one in smaller, smaller institutions. At the end of the two days, there's a final meeting in the head teacher's office where the inspectors tell them what they've seen as a summary and what sort of grade they should expect. And after that, they go back to Ofsted and a report will be published a few weeks down the line. There will be a grade given to each school and there's only three marks. There is requires improvement, there is good, and there's outstanding. Every parent who has a child in the school will receive a link by email for a survey. It depends on the school ethos, on the local uh, community, but it is not uncommon to have very low uh, answers in numbers. In some schools, they would get 50% of the parents answering the survey. In some schools, much less. It depends. But the parents are offered a survey where they can voice their opinion of, of the school and on the school. 
Now, as I said, when it's a small institution, a small nursery, it's just one day of visit. And when it's a bigger school, it's two days. And the number of inspector can go from one to three. If you check on the Ofsted website, um, you will see that inspecting maintained schools and academies is done following a framework that is very clear and specific. And all the guidance is available online. There is a leaflet you can go through for maintained schools, if it's a state school, for instance. And the, this guidance explains exactly what the inspectors are going to do. The, the inspectors of Ofsted are going to look at the overall effectiveness of education in the school, the quality of education. They will look at students' behavior and attitudes. They will look at personal development. Um, what do the children have access to, which is not just directly the curriculum. And they would look at leadership and management and explore how the school functions, uh, how the leadership and the teachers um, are working, collaborating together to make sure that education is working. Now, whenever an, ins an Ofsted inspector comes to a school, they have access to everything. They are supposed to receive very clear paperwork. And this is, I guess, why there was criticism of the amount of paperwork that this entails. But to me, it's essential that the paperwork is... Um, transparently done so that we, we can access the data. So it's a list of staff. It's um, who works on site, uh, a map of the building. It's the Wi-Fi so that the inspectors can use the Wi-Fi. This is all just basic. Um, then it's the school timetable. Um, and then strategic documents that are about the school. Some of it might be confidential. So the inspectors want to know the longer term vision for the school. They want to have the, tr the trust strategy if there is a, a trust involved. They want to have access to meetings, minutes of meetings, um, data about the students. They want minutes of the board meetings. They want um, the school to provide evidence that it has worked on self-evaluation and data collection. They want to know how behavior is recorded and what's done when there's issues with behavior. The inspectors are going to look at attendance. Are there groups of children who are missing school time? School, is school attendance an issue? They want to know how many students are on roll or off roll, how many students are struggling with schooling. They want to know why kids can be excluded and suspended. And they want to know how much we use the internal isolation uh, systems. They want to know everything about records of bullying, discrimination, um, homophobia, biphobic, transphobic, racist, sexist, disability events that have maybe occurred. And they want to have access to anything about restrictive physical intervention. And they want to know if there's issues of allegations against staff. So basically, a lot of paperwork that shows that the school is recording data and collecting it efficiently, but also that the school is proactive in improving itself. Now, 
as I said, the lead inspector is usually meeting the head teacher in that meeting and they walk around the school and they can ask questions. It is really important that everything is obviously rehearsed and prepared. So this adds a layer of difficulty for anyone who works in the school. The head teacher needs to know that all the departments have their systems in place and that if they say, can I see the, the attendance uh, data or can I see the curriculum um, strategy for maths for the maths department that it's easily accessible at the drop of a hat if the head teacher needs the data. So it implies that the school is well organized and that there has been um, times to prepare and time to rehearse a school inspection. At the final feedback meeting between the inspectors and the head teachers, they will tell them what sort of grade they can expect. And the head teacher will be allowed to discuss the grade if he disagrees or she disagrees. There will be some uh, pointers at why such a grade has been thought would be appropriate and there would be information about how a report is going to be published and how to um, reach out in case there's a complaints procedure. So the inspection team will give face-to-face -face feedback to the head teacher in that final meeting before the end of that school visit and um, this is a tricky moment for a head teacher if they feel that their school's grade is not as high as they expected it to be. Now, I'm just going to let you listen to the news and then we'll go in the experience side of Ofsted because I've been through three uh, Ofsted inspections in different uh, institutions so far um, and I would love to share them with you on a confidential basis, obviously. But first, we're going to listen to the news and I'm sure that we're going to mention Ofsted in the news. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ASCOL is due to ballot members for the first time in its history. The four education unions will ballot over strike action this term and, if backed by members, would see action stretching into next year and could lead to full school closures. The government continues to hold its position that the most recent pay offer is fair and reasonable and that next year school funding will be at its highest level in history. Schools Week covers the further implications of school funding issues in a story about the cuts some head teachers are making. In a survey conducted by the National Foundation for Education Research for the Sutton Trust, it was found that schools are cutting back on school trips, teaching assistance and IT equipment to help balance stretch budgets. Responses from 1,428 primary and secondary teachers show 50% of senior leaders said their school had cut back on trips and outings this year. Schools in the most disadvantaged areas were most likely to be impacted by cuts to trips. The research suggests that in secondary schools, leaders are also cutting back on subject choices at both GCSE and A level. The Department for Education has estimated schools overall could afford 2.4 billion in new spending between 2022 and 2024 before facing net pressure on their budgets. 
but the Confederation of School Trusts warned its members could face a prolonged period of financial challenge due to pay rises and other increasing costs if more funding was not forthcoming. The Sutton Trusts poll also showed that some school leaders are using pupil premium funding to plug budget gaps. The report also underlines the issue of recruitment into the sector, with the NFER predicting that the DfE will again miss its recruitment into initial teacher training target this year. Meanwhile, the TES focused on a DfE funding rule change to help schools hit by falling pupil numbers due to a decline in birth rate. Schools that are not rated good or outstanding will be eligible for additional funding. Other changes will be introduced from 2024 to 25, and councils will set expectations around the minimum funding they must provide to support schools with significant increases in pupil numbers. Schools with more than one site will also receive extra funding where they need to duplicate services over multiple sites. Falling birth rates mean there are projected to be half a million fewer pupils in English state nurseries and primaries in 2028 compared with 2022. Nurseryworld.co.uk reports on the findings of its recent survey into staff wellbeing around Ofsted inspections. In the article on its website, it reports that over 3,000 owners, managers and staff responded to questions around mental health and well-being and the impact of inspections. Many responded that they felt increased stress and anxiety in the run-up to an inspection, with many having sleepless nights and some suffering from panic attacks and depression. The possibility of losing funding, should a setting be judged inadequate, was also mentioned. Full details of the survey can be found on the Nursery World website. The Guardian reports that a record figure of £4.8 billion interest has been added to student debt in Britain last year. The government has more than doubled the amount of money it makes from charging interest on student loans as graduates face borrowing costs of almost twice the rate set by the Bank of England. The Office for National Statistics said the accrued interest had doubled from £2.3 billion in the previous year. The forecast average debt among the cohort of students who started their course in 2021 and 22 is £45,800 when they complete their course. Finally, the Morning Star in Scotland reports that increased spending per school pupil is failing to deliver improved outcomes. Spending per pupil has risen to £8,500 in Scotland, compared with around £7,200 across England, Wales and Northern Ireland but attainment in Scotland is not on a similarly rising trajectory. Research by the Institute for Fiscal Studies shows that despite having the highest spending per pupil across the UK for a long period, test scores in reading, maths and science have either stayed the same or have been going down. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to attempt to explain in simple terms how the internet works. Let's take this tech briefing for example. I know every single one of you at some point have thought, how on earth can someone who makes a recording in one part of the world be broadcast globally to thousands of people and there'll be very few errors? I won't even go off when you go under a bridge. Although, 
I did give Tom Rogers a lift once and can tell you he's so radio he stopped talking when I drove through the Mersey Tunnel. For the internet to work, a way of allowing people to simultaneously use the same cables had to be created. The traditional phone call method could not be used because this would limit the number of users. If computers made a dedicated connection like a phone call does, then there'd be a lot of waiting going on. Imagine if you had to wait in line for a download. You are 457th in the queue. Your download is important to us. Please listen to this monotonous music while you wait. It simply wouldn't catch on. So what happens? Data is transmitted in a similar way to the postal system, just a lot quicker. Right now, this podcast is arriving on your device in a series of packets. Packets are really small chunks of data that can be sent from device to device via routers. Without getting too geeky on you, the host server gets a request from you when you press play. The request says, start sending me the packets of the audio chocolate you know as Steve Woods' tech briefing. And like chocolate, it's split into chunks. These chunks are given an address to get to, an address of where they came from, some other information like the type of file being sent so your device knows which application to open it in, and a number so the packets can be ordered and rebuilt when they arrive. These packets are directed over the internet by routers that use the address information to direct them and then rebuilt by your device once they arrive. Because packets are so small and can be forwarded rapidly, lots of computers can send data at the same time and keep everybody connected. So next time you're using the internet, consider that what you are looking at has probably been split into thousands of packets routed across the world and being rebuilt in a matter of milliseconds for you to enjoy. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for listening to the news, dear listener. So, um, we talked about the origins of Ofsted, creating created in 1992 by John Major, Tory uh, Prime Minister of the time. And now um, I would like to talk about my experience of being inspected by Ofsted. So the first time I was inspected by Ofsted, I worked as a nursery teacher, and this was a private nursery. I'm not going to give any names, but the Ofsted reports are all available on line on school and, and nursery websites. So this is nothing that's um, not confidential, but I'm going to remain discreet. And I'm just going to say it was a private nursery in London. The nursery was inspected in December 2017, and it had previously been inspected in December 2014. So as you can see, Ofsted is not coming to institutions very often. It's not every year for sure. Now, Ofsted followed its framework and gave a grading on effectiveness of leadership, quality of teaching, personal development and outcomes for children. Now, this private nursery was very well run and we got outstanding on all aspects of the nursery. So outstanding leadership, outstanding teaching, outstanding personal development and outstanding outcome for children. So I was personally um, observed during, not during a lesson as such, but I was just interacting with the children. And I remember we were talking about volcanoes randomly because we were playing in a sand pit and we had uh, a child had dug a, a sand um 
volcano out of uh, a volcano out of sand and um we were just talking about volcanoes in general and i remember um mentioning the fact that sometimes volcanoes pure ash in the atmosphere and that it can affect the weather and also um air flight and i did explain to the children that once there was lots of people couldn't go on holiday in the plane because an Icelandic volcano had spewed ash in the atmosphere. And I remember the inspector um, noticed this and she did uh, praise us later on in her feedback to the head of the nursery saying that she was really keen on seeing teachers using anecdotes in order to reinforce learning while interacting with children. So this was the sort of inspection that you're keen on having when you're a professional educator, because obviously when we got, once we got the phone call, we had to stay late. I, I wasn't keen on this. Um, my view was that if you are going to be inspected, you should behave the same way as when you're not inspected. You should show what you honestly and truly do every day. Um, but we still had to attend that extra meeting. So it meant that we had done our whole shift from 8 to 5, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then we had to come back from 7 to 9 to attend a meeting. It was much more a coaching type of meeting. Um, the head of the nursery was telling us to just be strong and positive and do what whatever we usually do, um, which was a bit of a pep talk and it could have been done just over the phone um, for five minutes, but hey ho. So it was a good inspection in that sense. Now, change of settings. I'm not a nursery teacher anymore. I'm being observed in a secondary school where I teach languages. And this happened in Hertfordshire in a different type of setting. It was a school. This school had been an academy in 2012. It changed its status. It was considered good by Ofsted when it was inspected in 2014. Then it had a series of years where it went in requires improvement, the lowest grade available in 2017. And it's been um, considered as requires improvement since then. When I was working in that school, we got a monitoring visit. So a monitoring visit is a special sort of visit that Ofsted inspectors do. This happens once a year. If your school has a requires improvement status or grade, it means that Ofsted will come every year to check on how you're doing. And this monitoring visit happened in July 2021. Now, I was observed in one of my lessons. Um, I was an NCT, so at the time I was a newly qualified teacher. And uh, we got feedback from um, the, I mean, we had a deep dive, which is when you go really into a department and you evaluate the department. And we got quite some positive feedback on the quality of our teaching. So once more, my experience, my di direct experience with Ofsted inspectors was pretty positive. Uh, professional people, um, polite, but not friendly. 
who are asking very ad adequate questions and are trying to get an idea of the school and its progress. Now, in the report that was published following this July visit, and the report was published uh, a bit later in September, it said, and I quote, Leaders and those responsible for governance are not taking effective action in order for the school to become a good school. So this school I used to work at has been required in requires improvement since 2017 and is still not. And then it got inspected again um, in 2022 and it's still not um, able to shed this status. But the impression I was given by the report corroborated my feeling and my experience as a teacher when I worked there is that there was a big leadership issue, um, issues with communication, issue with self-evaluation and self-awareness coming from that leadership in that particular school. So again, my experience with Ofsted in that school setting was that the report was highlighting things that I had experienced and that was pretty much an accurate report. My third experience with Ofsted was in my current school, which um, we received a visit in January 2022, just last year, and it was over two days. We were um, observed following the same framework, so quality of education, behavior and attitudes, personal development, leadership and management. And um, our school had never been inspected before. So that was the first time we were inspected by Ofsted. So I can tell you the grades we had. We, for quality of education, we had good. Behavior, we had requires improvement. For personal development, we had good again. And then leadership and management, we had requires improvement. And once more, you're going to think I'm uh, doing a podcast to praise uh, Ofsted. I'm not. I'm just trying to be objective. And once more, I have to say I agree with the report that is published there is some very accurate analysis of deep issues we face in our school and i think the report highlights them now um you are going to ask me so what was the overall grade that your current school got after that 2020 um to 2022 inspection, well, out of good requires improvement, good and requires improvement, our overall grade was requires improvement. So the general assessment was pretty harsh, although the basis of the assessment were sound, I would say, if I had to be objective. Now, this is my experience as a teacher when I'm in the front line and I'm being observed and I can also see what goes on behind um, the curtains. Now, as a parent, it's different. And I'm also a parent. I have children who've been through primary school and are now in secondary school, one in a private institution, one in a state school. So my experience as a parent is that the Ofsted inspections 
can be very far between. For instance, in my children's primary school, they were rated outstanding in 2015 and they haven't been inspected since. So it's a long time without checking if the school is still outstanding. It is a common practice by Ofsted to not check schools that are outstanding as regularly as schools that are good. And there is no system like for schools who are on a requires improvement status because these have to be monitored yearly. Uh, but I do think it gives a lot of time. It leaves a lot of time in between inspections and Sometimes we get complacent when we are working. We, we rely on our outstanding status and we might not always be able to keep it. But saying that, the school was considered outstanding. I thought it was a good school myself, but that it could have been improved and been run a bit tighter. But saying that, this is primary school. Now, I'm looking at secondary schools now as a parent. My child's secondary school is outstanding. It was outstanding in 2023 when it was inspected in February. And its last outstanding was in 2011. So you can see here there's a situation that is allowed to happen in outstanding schools where they are basically inspected once every 10 years, more or less. So this is something that might be ex explained by um, focusing on the schools that need help more or just the fact that we rely on outstanding schools to keep the work they're doing and not change it. Now, um, I'm going to talk about my experience as a parent for schools that are private, because private schools can be inspected by Ofsted as well. Um, it is a little bit different. My, um, my son's school is a private school and it was inspected over the years a little bit more. So it was inspected in 2008 and it got good. 2011, satisfactory inspection. Monitoring in 2012. Another inspection, 2015 with good. Again, another one in 2018, outstanding this time. Additional inspection in 2020. And then uh, the latest, 2022, with good. So we went from outstanding to good. The reason why I think is mostly because there was an issue with the content of the curriculum. Um, there was, I quote, in the primary phase, opportunities for pupils to learn about different faith and beliefs were underdeveloped. This means that pupils' appreciation of people's similarities and differences is not promoted as well as leaders intend. Leaders should review the curriculum in the primary phase and strengthen the way in which pupils acquire an understanding of different faiths and traditions. And that judgment is fair. But again, I think there's also... Um, a cultural discrepancy because this school is not an English school. So the way um, faiths are perceived might differ depending on the country. But saying that, the 
accuracy of the inspection was once again correct as far as a parent can tell. Now, um, my um, other child's school was outstanding in 2012, and it's outstanding again in 2023. So 10 years, same uh, rating. And I just, I'm going to quote what this Ofsted inspection um, said in the report. The inspector said, staff enjoy working at this school. They feel that their workload and well-being are well supported. Staff at all levels appreciated leaders' open-door policy. They benefit from many opportunities for professional development. Knowledgeable governors and trustees provide highly effective challenge and support to school leaders. So this is a school where the staff is happy to go to work and it is a school with a very good retention uh, for staff. So that's a very, very positive outcome. Now, I'm not trying to uh, blow Ofsted's trumpet. I just want to highlight the fact that we do have inspectors who provide reports that are at times seen as harsh but are also reflecting the experience of some teachers and some parents. Now, if you ask students, um, and if you asked my child, my child would say that behavior is not outstanding in, um, in the school because she has very high expectations of behavior. And I think a lot of students are falling short of her own high expectations but saying that i'm confident that my daughter's school is outstanding and it deserved its rating and i'm also aware that my current school didn't get a good rating because we have issues that we are not addressing in an effective way as far as behavior is concerned and um, leadership and management now my main criticism about the way inspections are run and the way the reports are written is that we forget the elephant in the room and that is that the school reflects the area it is operating in. And there will be too many instances of schools that requires improvement when they are school built in an area where there is a high level of poverty and a high level of needs and school is the only institution that is actively trying to palliate society's issues. And we have all heard about um, the criticism targeting Ofsted recently since January. It is not just a question of administrative and paperwork pressure and stress occasioned by school inspections. We have read in the press that there has been people who've been really, really hurt by the inspecting systems in the UK. Um, 
if you are, and I can see in the chat that there are people who are uh, saying hi, hi, hello Marek, um, from Varso. So you might not be aware of the press uh, in the UK and what's been happening in the UK. So I'm just going to inform the people who are not living in the UK and remind the people who are living in the UK what happened in early 2023 in the UK. In... Um, the beginning of the year, there was a head teacher who was um, working in a school called Caversham Primary. It's a primary school in Reading. Reading is a town in Berkshire. And um, this head teacher, whose name was Ruth Perry, was a um, dedicated head teacher who had been working in education for decades. And Ruth Perry was a head teacher who got through a Nofsted inspection. So she was visited in her school and um, she was told at the end of the visit in that inspector slash head teacher meeting, the last meeting of the day, that her school would not receive a good grade this time and that it would go into um, requires improvement. So she she saw her school going from outstanding, which is the highest rating, to the lowest possible in the Ofsted scale. And after that, Ruth struggled with, with her mental health and she ended up by committing suicide and she died this year following the Ofsted inspection. So this has been in the news in the UK and on social media, there's, a, there's been a Twitter storm with teachers and head teachers who have raised the alarm bell saying that the weight and the pressures they're under is having detrimental aspects on detrimental effect on their well-being since um, COVID happened as well. Because head teachers are struggling with workload, but also with the aftermath of the pandemic. We have more people in poverty in the UK. We have four million children who live in poverty who have um not who haven't got access to good nutritious food who haven't got money to pay for their uniforms at the same time head teachers have had their budgets frozen in time since 2010 there's a huge amount of increase in energy bills some schools can't afford to to pay for the heating bills for the students so there's financial pressures mental health pressures and then poverty pressures on the staff and we have reached a level of distress that led to someone losing their lives at work after an inspection. So Ruth Perry's family is very active on social media and yesterday um, there was Julia Waters, or I should say on Friday, Julia Waters is Ruth Perry's sister. So she lost her sister at the beginning of the year through suicide, which is a very, very difficult um, death to mourn. Suicide is, is a death that makes people feel guilty. They feel like they weren't there to help their loved ones and they have to deal with anger, guilt. Um, it's a very difficult process, mourning death by suicide. So Julia Waters has chosen to protect other people from um, 
the the difficulties of working as a head teacher and she has addressed the trade union for head teachers which is the NAHT there was a conference in Telford Shropshire on Saturday so yesterday the 29th of April and I'm going to quote some of Julia Waters speech I couldn't get my hands on the whole speech, but I got some extract from different newspapers that related her words. So this is Julia Waters, sister of late Ruth Perry, who was a head teacher. So she talks about what I would call the dark side of Ofsted. We all know parents deserve better than misleading, dangerous single word judgments. So stop promoting them. We had to speak out because we want no other family to experience the pain that we have felt. We had to speak out because a terrible injustice has been done to my sister Ruth. Ruth was not an inadequate head teacher. We had to speak out because Ruth was not the first head teacher to take her own life after an Ofsted inspection. Julia Waters add to that speech, take down your banners and write to parents to tell them that you're doing this and why you're doing it. Stop promoting them, she means Ofsted when she says them. And how many of you in this room serve as Ofsted inspectors as well as being head teachers? So in that speech, you can hear the pain that Julia Waters is experiencing, and you can hear the rage. It's bubbling underneath every word. Julia Waters is a woman on a mission, and she wants to destroy Ofsted because she believes strongly, and she's advocating for people to believe the same, that Ofsted is responsible for the death of her sister, Ruth. Now, this is a very difficult situation because as i explained ofsted is supposed to inspect school so it's a tool from the government it's a way of making sure schools are following the government's ideology but also um prerequisite so if you want to be a professional teacher or head teacher you are supposed as it's it's your requirement you're supposed to follow some standards now the problem is that the world we live in has changed massively in the last couple of years because we've had a pandemic and even if we are relieved that we are not wearing masks uh, anymore and that we don't see out, out um, outside signs of the pandemic there will be side effects of the pandemic for decades to come I did mention poverty, and I'm going to insist on it. The outstanding schools that are inspected and rated outstanding in the UK are very often wealthy schools. And by wealthy, I mean that they are located in wealthy areas. The parents of the children who attend the school are wealthy people, and they are able to fundraise to support the schools and also to pay for all the pastoral development that Ofsted thinks and values, but that some other schools do not have the means to access. And I really want to insist on that. Does Ofsted take into account 
the area the school operates in when it gives a rating. Because it's easier to create a great school when you have parents who have financial uh, access and can pay for tutors or can pay for instrument lessons. And I now also want to highlight the fact that Ruth Perry's death is sadly not just um, a local issue that only affects the United Kingdom. We have had the exact situation in France when on the 23rd of September 2019, so before the pandemic, we had Christine Renon, who was a head teacher in a, in a kindergarten school, so it's for schools from two and a half years to five years five years or six years thereabout and she actually committed suicide inside her school she wrote a letter in which she explained that her working conditions were atrocious and that she had tried to reach out for help to her management and administration and that she had been ignored and she worked in an area of extreme poverty near paris called seine saint denis um, and she just was 58. She had been working for the Ministry of Education in France for all her working life, and she just had enough. So this death of Christine Renon sadly echoes the death of Ruth Perry. And I'm not seeing something that depends on one government or one inspection system, or one institution, what I see is um, general discontent, a general suffering that befalls teachers and head teachers who work in the Western schools. So it's not just in um, the UK or France, and I'm sure it's the same in America. Now, because it's a difficult su subject, and I apologize, um, but it's an important subject, I just wanted to highlight the fact that suicide is a very tricky um, medical issue that we can't approach in a simple way. If you look at suicide rates per profession in the United States, it's usually jobs that require high level of learning, knowledge, aptitude, sacrifice and education that lead to an above average risk of suicide. So you end up in America having the people who commit suicides the most uh, being doctors, dentists, and people who are highly trained professionals. It's a, the opposite picture in the UK. In the UK, by contrast, the evidence shows that it used to be occupations requiring lower skill that had higher rates of suicide. But now it's still very shocking when a head teacher commits suicide after being inspected, but it might become something that spreads. And we really need to stop and think when there's a high profile case like this, because it's not just happening randomly, it's happening in France, it's happening in the UK, and we need to reflect. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death in people aged 20 to 64 in England. So it kills more than COVID, and yet 
we don't seem to put many measures to stop it. Remember, suicide is the biggest killer of young people from 20 to 34. It's the biggest killer of men. More than drugs, car crashes, it's suicide that kills our young men. And in England and Wales, there were 18,998 deaths caused by suicide between 2011 to 2015. So it's a matter of health and it's a matter of the NHS and of everybody to prevent suicides. Suicide risk in education workers used to be very low. And yet, again, alarm bells should be ringing all over the country. Crisis Charity is reporting a surge in school teachers at risk. I quote from uh, uh, the, um, an article published online, Poor children are a particular source of distress for educators. It hits teachers in a way that little else does. So the charity crisis is running a free 24-7 helpline open to anyone in the education workforce. And it has received more than 9,000 calls last financial year. Out of these 9,000 calls, there were 741 people, professional educators in the UK, who were clinically assessed as a risk of suicide. That's 700 families that could be affected by the death of a loved one in the UK because they work in a school and their mental health is in decline. And this is a rise of 23% from the year before. So if you want to look at the figures, check the crisis charity website. This is very, very worrying. It's a worrying trend that we need to address on a national level. And I would say international level. Because Christine Renault and Ruth Perry, it's the same fight. We need to protect our head teachers. There was a conference recently, and Evelyn Ford, who is um, head of Copt Hall School in North London, she said that at one point in her career, she has reached something she never expected to reach. She had to call for an ambulance while she was at work because she had a member of staff who was suicidal at work and she quotes and she said my member of staff said i might take these pills so evelyn ford says when i graduated years ago i was never told about the social emotional and mental health challenges that i would be facing in my classrooms on a day-to-day -day basis when we start training to become teachers we are basically asked to focus on a subject. Are we good enough in maths to teach maths? Is our French language good enough to teach grammar? We focus on the subjects. We might have a little bit of help about classroom management, but it's all very, it's, it's all about use this resource and use this technique, but it's not practical. At no point are we trained about suicide prevention of colleagues or of children. Teachers have to face more and more mental health issues themselves, but also with the people they interact with. 
we are not trained psychologists. Following a Freedom of Information request sent by the Lib Dems, it found that more than 7 million teachers work days who had been lost to stress and mental health in the past five years. So it has a detrimental effect on attendance of staff because a lot of staff have burnout. They work so hard and then they can't work any longer. So there is a mental health crisis in the UK at the moment and Ofsted is involved. So I'm quoting Louise Aston, A-S-T-O-N. She's the well-being director of BITC. Louise Aston says, as well as looking after the mental health of their staff, employers need to have preparations in place to ensure that if the worst happens, they have the knowledge and the skills to minimize harms. This way, they can help everyone deal with the devastating consequences of suicide as best they can. So, it's a moral case for employers to act responsibly and support employees to feel comfortable discussing these issues. Now, the issue I find following the social media storm after Ruth Perry's suicide and also the criticism targeted at Ofsted is that Ofsted is a government tool. Its purpose is to serve the public. There is nothing that can justify the death of a professional, dedicated, hardworking head teacher. We should not let anyone else be at risk of committing suicide due to work stress. If you want to, if you, if you, if you're facing issues with suicide in your current job, please, please, please reach out. There are suicide prevention toolkit for employers, and there's also uh, people who can support you in putting that in place in your school. So if you want more about prevention toolkit and postvention toolkit, contact Naomi Ramage on 020-3682-0132. It is important that Professional educators have access to the resources to prevent suicide and also to deal with other members of staff and children who are facing uh, death by suicide. Now, a lot of people are very angry at the moment. Emotions are running high. The same way as emotions ran high when Christine Renaud committed suicide in 2019. My main question is, what does Ofsted stand for? We explained earlier that the acronym stand for um, very, something very clear. Uh, let me read it for you again. So it's the Office for Standards in Education, Children's Services and Skills. Now, standards need to be very high in this country as far as education is concerned. But standards, standards of care for members of staff need to be extremely high. If we have members of our workforce who are committing suicide under our watch, then our institution is not working. 
And if it's not working, what can we do to make it work? I'm advocating for an awareness today. And this is why I wanted to objectively talk about how Ofsted was created, why it was created, and how it operates. I have insisted on this accuracy I found in the reports, in my professional experience, and also as a parent. The grading that Ofsted used in the institutions I worked for was adequate in the sense that it reflected my experience as a worker in the school or as a parent in the school. Now, the issue is we live in different times and mental health should be more important than league tables or than institutions. If a tool is broken, we stop using it and we buy a new one or we replace it. If Ofsted is broken, we need to buy a new Ofsted and replace it. If a system is broken, we need to change it. In any case, reform is needed and we need objective, accurate, empathetic people in leadership to proceed with that reform. I hope you found this analysis of Ofsted helpful. I hope you feel like you understand more about how Ofsted operates. And I'm hoping I highlighted the difficulties of experiencing an Ofsted visit, but also the long-lasting effects that they can have. I'm going to let you listen to the news one more time, and then we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ASCOL is due to ballot members for the first time in its history. The four education unions will ballot over strike action this term and, if backed by members, would see action stretching into next year and could lead to full school closures. The government continues to hold its position that the most recent pay offer is fair and reasonable and that next year school funding will be at its highest level in history. Schools Week covers the further implications of school funding issues in a story about the cuts some headteachers are making. In a survey conducted by the National Foundation for Education Research for the Sutton Trust, it was found that schools are cutting back on school trips, teaching assistants and IT equipment to help balance stretch budgets. Responses from 1,428 primary and secondary teachers sure 50% of senior leaders said their school had cut back on trips and outings this year. Schools in the most disadvantaged areas were most likely to be impacted by cuts to trips. The research suggests that in secondary schools, leaders are also cutting back on subject choices at both GCSE and A-level. The Department for Education has estimated schools overall could afford £2.4 billion in new spending between 2022 and 2024 before facing net pressure on their budgets. But the Confederation of School Trusts warned its members could face a prolonged period of financial challenge due to pay rises and other increasing costs if more funding was not forthcoming. The Sutton Trusts poll also showed that some school leaders are using pupil premium funding to plug budget gaps. The report also underlines the issue of recruitment into the sector, 
with the NFER predicting that the DfE will again miss its recruitment into initial teacher training target this year. Meanwhile, the TES focused on a DfE funding rule change to help schools hit by falling pupil numbers due to a decline in birth rate. Schools that are not rated good or outstanding will be eligible for additional funding. Other changes will be introduced from 2024 to 25, and councils will set expectations around the minimum funding they must provide to support schools with significant increases in pupil numbers. Schools with more than one site will also receive extra funding where they need to duplicate services over multiple sites. Falling birth rates mean there are projected to be half a million fewer pupils in English state nurseries and primaries in 2028 compared with 2022. Nurseryworld.co.uk reports on the findings of its recent survey into staff wellbeing around Ofsted inspections. In the article on its website, it reports that over 3,000 owners, managers and staff responded to questions around mental health and well-being and the impact of inspections. Many responded that they felt increased stress and anxiety in the run-up to an inspection, with many having sleepless nights and some suffering from panic attacks and depression. The possibility of losing funding, should a setting be judged inadequate, was also mentioned. Full details of the survey can be found on the Nursery World website. The Guardian reports that a record figure of £4.8 billion interest has been added to student debt in Britain last year. The government has more than doubled the amount of money it makes from charging interest on student loans as graduates face borrowing costs of almost twice the rate set by the Bank of England. The Office for National Statistics said the accrued interest had doubled from £2.3 billion in the previous year. The forecast average debt among the cohort of students who started their course in 2021 and 22 is £45,800 when they complete their course. Finally, the Morning Star in Scotland reports that increased spending per school pupil is failing to deliver improved outcomes. Spending per pupil has risen to £8,500 in Scotland, compared with around £7,200 across England, Wales and Northern Ireland but attainment in Scotland is not on a similarly rising trajectory. Research by the Institute for Fiscal Studies shows that despite having the highest spending per pupil across the UK for a long period, test scores in reading, maths and science have either stayed the same or have been going down. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to attempt to explain in simple terms how the internet works. Let's take this tech briefing for example. I know every single one of you at some point have thought, how on earth can someone who makes a recording in one part of the world be broadcast globally to thousands of people and there be very few errors? I won't even go off when you go under a bridge. Although, I did give Tom Rogers a lift once and can tell you he's so radio he stopped talking when I drove through the Mersey Tunnel. For the internet to work, a way of allowing people to simultaneously use the same cables had to be created. The traditional phone call method could not be used because this would limit the number of users. If computers made a dedicated connection like a phone call does, then there'd be a lot of waiting going on. Imagine if you had to wait in line for a download. You are 457th in the queue. Your download is important to us. Please listen to this monotonous music while you wait. It simply wouldn't catch on. So, what happens? Data is transmitted in a similar way to the postal system. Just 
a lot quicker. Right now, this podcast is arriving on your device in a series of packets. Packets are really small chunks of data that can be sent from device to device via routers. Without getting too geeky on you, the host server gets a request from you when you press play. The request says, start sending me the packets of the audio chocolate you know as Steve Woods' tech briefing. And like chocolate, it's split into chunks. These chunks are given an address to get to, an address of where they came from, some other information, like the type of file being sent, so your device knows which applications you open it in, and a number so the packets can be ordered and rebuilt when they arrive. These packets are directed over the internet by routers that use the address information to direct them and then rebuilt by your device once they arrive. Because packets are so small and can be forwarded rapidly, lots of computers can send data at the same time and keep everybody connected. So next time you're using the internet, consider that what you are looking at has probably been split into thousands of packets routed across the world and being rebuilt in a matter of milliseconds for you to enjoy. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So, dear listeners, thank you for listening to the news. Today, we were asking the question, what does Ofsted stand for? Ofsted is the Office for Standards in Education, Children's Services and Skills. It was created in 1992 by John Major, the then leader of the Tory Uh, government and a prime minister. Ofsted is a tool to inspect schools. The issue we face now with our current Ofsted is that the standards for care and for supporting the workforce seems to have slipped. It's been called on social media by many professional educators that Ofsted should be reformed. Some are even asking to scrap Ofsted. I do not know which way is the best, but the only thing I do know is that we do not want any more head teachers passing because of stress-related issues. And we are honoring the memory of Christine Renan, who died in 2019, and Ruth Berry, who died in 2023, and any other educators who died due to work-related issues. So I hope you found this podcast interesting and please contact me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL if you would like to reach out. I wish you a wonderful bank holiday. Uh, Monday the 1st of May is uh, a bank holiday in honour of the strikers who died in Chicago in 1886 when they were striking to ask for an eight-hour work shift per day. This has been a bank holiday since 1897 in their honour. So let's remember that striking is also a way to protect workers' interest and mental health and well-being tomorrow as we enjoy our bank holiday. Have a lovely Monday tomorrow. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.